the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. It's time once again for the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We're so glad you're with us here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. I'll tell you who else is glad that we're here. That's Jeff Sennis, our engineer. Andrew Herdliska is the producer. Todd Hunter is the first guest. He's in Franklin, Tennessee. His book, What Jesus Intended, Finding True Faith in the rubble of bad religion. Todd, welcome to Orlando. It's uh, very, very nice to catch up with you. Thank you, Pat. It's nice to talk to you again. What's the background of this book? Well, uh, I'm 67, Pat, and I started in ministry when I was 19. So that means I've been at this a long time, and I know how the religious sausages made, you might say. <laughs> I've, seen, I've, I've seen the good, bad, and the ugly of the church uh, for going on 50 years. And I just have a genuine empathy. My heart just sincerely goes out to um, the people that, you know, we read about in these studies, you know, every time there's a new study from Pew or Lilly or Gallup or, you know, the Barna Institute or whatever, we, we read these terrible statistics of people leaving church and the nuns, the duns, the skeptics, the hurt, the burned out. And my heart just goes out to them. And so that's really the genesis of this book. My goal is to represent Jesus, so to speak, to gain a fresh hearing for Jesus through the motif of trying to think through what were his aims, what were his purposes, what did he think was important, what did he think the Father was doing in and through him, so that what I'm trying to do, Pat, is um, instead of people trying to see Jesus through the foibles of the church— um, what might be different if we saw what the church was meant to be through the aims of Jesus? Chapter one, am I the only one who thinks this? Mm-hmm. How, how the church failed us. Tell us about uh, what you're writing in chapter one, uh, Todd. Yeah, I explore some of those statistics that I've mentioned and explore the stories of um, of people who have felt this. So the book has a bit of a rhythm to it, Pat, where each chapter opens with a story of someone who's had church difficulties, and then each chapter closes with um, the kind of thing that we might hope to see um, that would be different. So in chapter one, it's part statistics, part stories, part telling my own story um, uh, of growing up in for instance, when my faith was being awakened, I was in a very liberal, kind of sort of stereotypical 1960s uh, liberal United Methodist Church in Southern California, and you know it just almost killed my faith. You know they didn't they didn't believe in the Bible, they didn't believe Jesus was Lord, they didn't believe Jesus rose from the dead, and you know that was a form of bad religion. I mean, I love that church. I'm certainly not down on United Methodists or anything like that, but that was my honest experience. Um, as a teenager. And then I just kind of tell the story of my life and the ups and downs that, that I've seen myself and weaving in uh, the stories of others. So chapter one really sets the stage for not so much the statistics about church and who's coming to church or not, but the emotional um, angle on all this, the, the way people feel about this. Then we move to this topic. Can I find faith again? A fresh proposal regarding Jesus. Tell us more, Todd, please. Yeah. Well, Jesus was conscious of, it seems, only one thing, and that was the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. Um, 
it's practically all he taught about. If you think of the Sermon on the Mount, the parables, what's known as the All of the Discourse, Matthew 24, etc., it just seems like it's all Jesus taught about. And it's what he embodied in his way of being, his manner of life. And when he was pressed about, like, well, why are you healing on the Sabbath? Well, um, my father's working on the Sabbath. The kingdom is coming through me. Um, you know, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then you can know that the kingdom of God has come upon you. So he taught about it. He announced it. He lived it in his being. He demonstrated it in deeds of power. And I show how that was central to Jesus's consciousness of what he thought the Father was doing in and through him. So you think, Pat, of all the times Jesus said things like, well, I only do the things I see my Father doing, or I only say the things I hear my Father saying, or the Son can do nothing on his own except for what the Father gave him to do. You can see how Jesus sort of rattles those things off because they were actually so near and dear to his heart that he was trying to express, uh, just for a moment here, I'll say to your listeners, Pat, that the kingdom of God simply means the ruling and reigning of God. It's the expression of God's being. It's like the spaces and places in which what God wants done is done. And that's what Jesus was so deeply conscious of. And in that chapter, therefore, Pat, I want to say that um, that which Jesus thought was important is what makes meaning of Christianity and what makes meaning of church. Todd, I want you to explain uh, topic three. I'm failing to connect to faith and church. Jesus' self-identity is our rescue. Yeah. In that chapter, um, again, I explore in the beginning about how people feel disconnected from the church. And then I use the I am's of Jesus and John, like I'm the good shepherd, I'm the light of the world, etc. And again, I show how in each of those seven I am's in the Gospel of John, um, Jesus shows that he's, he understands and is conscious of his identity, and how he then invites us into that same sort of life. So if you think about what I said earlier about Jesus embodying and demonstrating and teaching the kingdom of God, well, the next thing he said was, come follow me. And I love the way that uh, Eugene Peterson gets this passage in Matthew 11 in the message, where he has Jesus saying, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And so when Jesus says, come follow me into life in the kingdom, he means, I'll teach you how to derive your life from the ruling and reigning of God that's amongst us constantly, every day, every moment, and I'll show you how to live your life in that. And so that's what I do in that chapter is I say, okay, how can we have an identity that's not merely rooted in our church hurts or our church brokennesses, but to find a new reality in Christ that we then can um, both interpret church and take that back into church. Next topic for you, Todd. I've lost the religious plot line. Jesus knew he was living in an unfolding story. Yeah, this is so important, Pat, that we um, learn to understand following Jesus, not merely through, you know, discrete individual verses of Scripture, as important as they are, right? Any verse in Scripture is important. But if we're trying to make sense of it through pulling verses apart and then maybe somehow stringing them together, it doesn't work as well as if we think in terms of narrative. So picture before there's anything, before God says, let there be light, there is a trinity of beings, which means there's relationship and there's personhood. And if there's personhood, that means there, there is intentionality. So when God says, let there be light, he's not just showing off. There's a purposefulness to that. He creates for a reason. And when he creates the pinnacle of his creation, Adam and Eve, he creates them for a reason where he says, come rule and reign with me. Come this, like, look at this, you know, putting it colloquially, look at this amazing new creation, guys, uh, Adam and Eve. I want you to come work with me in it. Be my partners. Come rule and reign with me and, and, and shepherd uh, creation with me. But then we all know the story, right? Fall, uh, the, the fall of humanity, and flood, and Tower of Babel, and, but then the calling of Abraham. 
where God says to Abram at the time, look, I'm calling you because you're going to be a blessing to the whole earth. So this is what it means to be human. Think of Adam and Eve. What it means, what it meant to be Israel was to serve God's purposes in this big narrative. What it means to be the, what it means to be the church in Christ through the spirit is to serve that narrative. And then Pat, there's this beautiful word in the Greek New Testament, telos, T-E-L-O-S. It's typically translated end, E-N-D, but it really means fulfillment or the completion of purpose. And so what God intended before there was anything is going to be fulfilled. And that's the big story that Jesus thought was important. It's the way he made sense of himself, and it's the way we're meant to find our identity. What does it mean to be human in the image of God in that big story? And I suggest in the book that we we find out how to do that and be that through Jesus. My guest is Todd Hunter in Franklin, Tennessee. The book, What Jesus Intended, Finding True Faith in the Rubble of Bad Religion. Topic number five for you, Todd. I feel pain, cynicism, and despair. Where is Jesus? Jesus' orientation to the kingdom of God. Yeah, in this chapter, I don't explore, you know, in in um, highly technical terms, the problem of evil and the problem of suffering. Um, but we do we do try to get at it because obviously, Pat, that's a that's an issue that most people have, right? Who are struggling with religion or church or Christianity? Um, you know, how do we make sense of that? What does it mean? And so in this story, again, I explore Jesus's relationship to the kingdom of God and suggest that in God's loving wisdom, and those two words are really important for what comes next, love and wisdom. In God's loving wisdom, he allows rival kingdoms to continue. So if you go back to my previous answer, God created with intention, that intention is going to be fulfilled. You know, we know from the book of Revelation that um, every tear will be, be wiped away from our eyes, no more pain, no more crying, no more tears, no more suffering. But in the meantime, there is this being, Satan, and his minions, demons, and what Paul talked about with principalities and powers, and then just human sin, the way humans can be br- brutal to each other, so that we live in this time between the times where the kingdom of God is inaugurated, but not yet consummated. And it's that which makes sense of, or at least allows a framework through which we can start making sense of the problem of pain and evil. And in the chapter, I show how Jesus works against suffering and against pain and against evil. My guest, Todd Hunter, we have another segment with him. This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990. FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. Stay with us. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Todd Hunter joins me. He's in Franklin, Tennessee, talking about his book, What Jesus Intended. Todd, uh, topic six, what about all the bad things done in God's name? Jesus taught that eternal life empowers good religion. Tell us more. Yeah. Any of our listeners, Pat, who are familiar with the New Testament know that there was a constant tension between Jesus and um, the forces of bad religion in his day. And so I think what I want our listeners to see is, Jesus looking out at the bad religion that was being fomented by the religious leaders of his day, and then saying to us, but there's something else available to us. It's eternal life. Now, what I explore in this chapter is that eternal life is not about space, you know, like the difference between Orlando and uh, Nashville, right? It's not about, it's not spatial. Like, eternal life is not way out there beyond the stars, wherever God might be. And I say that eternal life is not chronological, that it's not something that happens to us after we die. And eternal life is not just about duration or quantity of life, that eternal life is not just just that we get more and more and more life that never ends. 
There's only one really straightforward definition of eternal life in the New Testament. It's John 17, 3, where Jesus says, and this is eternal life, that they would know God and his son. So eternal life is a qualitative idea. It's a different kind of life. It's life, again, in and through the kingdom of God. And it, it, is a, it is life that will never end. But the important thing for the work I'm doing in this book, Pat, is that it's life that begins now, and it has a different quality to it. In the same way that Jesus was so in tune to his Father and safe in his Father's love, that the eternal life that, that Jesus offers us is the way that allows us to be also safe and secure, but not merely that, but also given like this different quality of life that has issues of like capacity to it, of, of power in the best sense of the term power, of authority in the best sense of the term authority um, in the New Testament. Those are very important words in the New Testament. We get scared of them rightly because they're so misused. But what Jesus wants us to know is that we're being offered this totally different kind of life, that yes, it's going to last forever, but it starts now, and this new quality of life is what's meant to empower us to be God's servants today. Next topic for you, Todd. Can I trust the church to be an instrument of restoration? Jesus was a healer. Yeah, this is uh, so much... Um, Pat, I'm sure you've got lots of friends in this place where they just actually wonder, can I take my questions to the church? Can can I express my concerns? Can I express my doubts, my fears? And I think it's in the last chapter of the book, I, I tell the story of a church here in the Nashville area I love called Journey Church. Um, you know, being an Anglican bishop, I don't get to go because I'm doing my own thing on uh Sunday mornings, but my daughter goes there, and I went once or twice with her when I've been on vacation, and I tell the story in this book. This is a great church that has just kind of, you know, normal contemporary worship, you might say. They have fantastic Orthodox Bible teaching, but then what I love, Pat, is when the Bible teaching's over, they literally stop, and the congregation can ask questions. They're invited to say, well, this is what I think or feel about this text and this explanation of the text, and here's where I struggle with it, or here's where I'm not sure how it applies to my life. And then, then even afterwards, after, the, after communion, a little more worship and communion and the service ends, they have a thing afterwards. that would, it's, it's a bit like an alpha course where people are asked, what do you think or feel about what you just heard? And what I love about it is that they've created a safe space. Um, one of their metaphors is, um, we don't build fences, uh, we dig a well. And the idea is that, you know, um, using, am- using animals as an analogy, animals are drawn to water, right, into the well. So what they say at Journey is we're trying to dig this really deep well of Jesus that would attract people to him, coming with all their questions and doubts. And just think of Jesus' as first friends, the first 12 um, they all had questions and doubts and were on a big learning curve. And I just think it's really important that churches take on some form of that dynamic. They don't have to do the, exactly what I'm saying Journey does, but things like an Alpha Course or other places where people can share their real fears and doubts in an intellectually, emotionally, relationally honest space. Todd, I want to hear about uh, Topic 8. How can I find vibrant faith? Jesus' teachings point us to a new way of life. Yeah, again, Jesus was always pointing to a reality that was in his Father, a reality that was in his Father's will, um, again, pointing to the kingdom of God. And I, what I'm trying to do in this chapter, Pat, is to not have us deny our feelings, not having deny our religious questions, our religious doubts, um, but to find meaning, um, to find the meaning of those questions and doubts, as well as finding answers to them in the things that Jesus taught. I mean, it's astounding as you read the little summary notes, so to speak, of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, especially, where they'll show Jesus being in a certain city and teaching and doing deeds of power. And then the audiences say, 
oh my gosh, we've never heard anyone teach with this sort of authority. Who is this man that does these deeds of power? So there was something infectious, even for people who don't get it. We might be able to say, especially for people who don't get it, when they actually hear Jesus teach and they see the things he does, these are the things that actually spark human faith and spark followership of Jesus. So in this chapter, I, ex- I explore some of the basic fundamental teachings of Jesus. Now I want to hear about topic nine. Why is consistent spiritual growth so difficult? Jesus' emphasis on the centrality of the heart. Yeah, this, I think, is the genius of Jesus. If, if I mean, there's, I probably can't say this really, Pat, but at least uh, I often think with a, a big smile on my, in my face that, um, that the genius of Jesus is that he knew religion was not primarily external. And this, of course, was the mistake of the religious leaders of his day, that they thought religion had to do with keeping the law and keeping minor little details of the law. And this explains Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, for instance, when he says, well, you know, Moses said, don't murder. But I say to you, don't cultivate hate in your heart. Rather, cultivate love. And if you come to love, murder won't even be an option. It'll be the first thing from your mind. Like, Pat, I never have to restrain myself from stealing. If I saw your wallet laying somewhere, if we were out to lunch and you, you misplaced your wallet in the men's room, it would be the furthest thing from my mind to steal your wallet. Why? Because I love you and want to serve you. I would take your wallet to you. And so when Jesus says it's not things external to you that pollute you, but things that come out of your heart that pollute you, he is giving us deep, deep religious wisdom that if we want to truly grow in Christ, that it means the transformation of our heart, our soul, our minds, our will, our emotions, the totality of our self. But heart is just a good summary of that, you know, the the innermost animating uh, part of a human being. That's what has to be transformed. And that's not automatically transformed, Pat, just by simply reading five chapters of the Bible or, you know, praying in a devotional prayer book. Now, I do all those things, and we should do them, but that's not automatic that that's transformative. Those, that reading and that praying has to lead to the intention and the desire for God to reshape our hearts such that our words and actions are different because our heart is different. And that's what I explore in that chapter. Chapter 10, is there an authentic community of faith? Jesus intentionally called and sent a people. What's that mean? Yeah, it means that Jesus was always um, aware of shaping a people, well, first calling them to himself, and then shaping them, and then sending them. And my imagination for this, Pat, is that think of Jesus' 12 first best friends. At least four of them were pretty messed up, right? Peter denied him. Judas betrayed him. James and John wanted to call down fire on whole cities because they thought Jesus was not welcomed enough in them. Well, that's that's pretty messed up, right? So uh, a full third of his friends, you know, didn't really get it, yet he worked with them. He he did call them to himself. He did work with them. You know, in the upper room, he he washes their feet. And then one of my very favorite passages in scriptures in John 20, where the, again, the, the, um, the 11 in this case are, are with Jesus. And the, the text says that he um, breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then said, even as the father sent me, so I send you. Sorry, I got that backwards. Jesus says to them, as the father sent me, in the very same manner, that is to say, with the same qualities of sending, with the same purpose of sending, I'm sending you in that same way. And then he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. The person, the third person of the Trinity, receive the Spirit into your life. And then, of course, we know from the rest of Scripture, right, Pat, that that means gifts. 
and fruit, the enablement to be God's people in the world. So in that chapter, I explore how Jesus calls us to himself, forms us in himself, and then sends us uh, through his work in our life. My guest has been Todd Hunter in Franklin, Tennessee, talking about his book, What Jesus Intended. Make sure you get it. Uh, The only chapter we didn't get, and you'll have to read it, Do My Religious Reservations and Churchly Hesitations Disqualify Me? Uh, We have more after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Todd Hunter, our guest in that first segment, Franklin, uh, Tennessee, talking about his book, What Jesus Intended, Finding True Faith in the Rubble of Bad Religion. John Gordon, when you think of John Gordon, you think of books, little little books with great truths in them. Uh, his latest book is out. I've read it. It's, uh, it's a dandy. The One Truth, Elevate Your Mind, Unlock Your Power, Heal Your Soul. John, so nice to catch up with you. Congrats on your new book, and I look forward to our chat. Thank you, Pat. I love the book that you just were talking about, about finding true faith in, in religion. That's awesome. That, that's what I try to do a little bit in The One Truth in terms of pointing people in the right direction. Well, let let me jump to the the side uh, the side title here, the secondary title. Uh, Elevate your mind. Can you explain that to us? What does that mean? So, I wrote this book because so many people in recent years have a lower state of mind instead of a higher state of mind, and they're allowing a lot of these negative thoughts to lower their state of mind. Let me explain. One day you're in traffic and it bothers you. The next day you're in the same traffic and it doesn't. Is the traffic making you feel a certain way? And the answer is no, because if it was the traffic, you would respond the same way to the traffic every single time. One day you're having a good day and things happen and you rise above, you move on. Another day you're having a bad day and the same circumstance happens and it really brings you down. So it's never the event. It's never the circumstance. It's always our state of mind. When your state of mind is low, the circumstance happens and it affects you. When your state of mind is high, same thing happens and it doesn't. And so people say, okay, how do I get to a high state of mind? Well, that's what the book is all about. How do I get to a higher state of mind with optimism, with belief, with positivity, with understanding how thoughts work, understanding that the brain is an antenna, and ultimately understanding oneness and separateness. When I move from oneness to separateness, I move from positive to negative. When I move from separateness to oneness, I move back towards positive. And if you look at all mental health disorders, they all report feelings of being alone, isolated, disconnected, and they feel separate. So this is all about elevating your state of mind so you can feel more whole and more powerful in this world. Then the second phrase in that subtitle, unlock your power, John, what do you mean by that? Well, we are not meant to go through life fearful, anxious, worried, chronically stressed, worried, and secure all the time. There are so many people struggling with their mental health. So many people are struggling with negative thoughts. So many people are anxious as they're going through life. And the root for the Greek word of anxious means to separate and divide. And so when you feel Anxious, you feel divided, you feel separate. What do negative thoughts do? They weaken you. They separate you. They make you feel powerless. So this is about unlocking your power. How do you move from powerless to powerful? Well, you know the truth, and you understand how thoughts work, and you realize negative thoughts are lies that will tell you things about yourself and your future that just aren't true. So as I elevate my state of mind, I start to unlock the power. As I realize I have a hole in my soul, a wound in my soul, and that we all need healing. Everyone does. And as we become more whole, W-H-O-L-E, and we heal that hole and we become whole, 
then we start to find that true power that we're meant to live with. You see, there's this force that's always trying to divide you and separate you and weaken you. And there's this power that's always trying to unite you and bring you back to himself. That is God. God is that power of love. And yet we have this force of fear and negativity always trying to separate us. And once you understand the world comes down to oneness and separateness, you realize that with oneness, there is power. A team that is one, that is connected, aligned, is a powerful team. A team that is separate and divided is a very weak team. So how do we move to being powerful? Well, as a team, it's about coming together and becoming one. With an individual, it's about becoming one. One with what? Well, one with your creator. When you're connected to your creator, you actually start to live with this power that you're meant to live with. And when you live with love instead of fear, you live with power because love casts out fear. So the minute I'm focusing on love, fear will dissipate. And I've shared this with a ton of professional athletes and college athletes and coaches, and it's incredible how they get this, and then they perform at a higher level. But I even shared it recently with musicians who are struggling with their identity in terms of their performance, and if I don't perform well, then I'm not a good person. I'll never make it. I'm, I'm not happy. I don't feel like I've succeeded because I didn't perform well. They just are always judging themselves based on their performance. And the minute you get them to focus on just loving playing, loving the music, loving the opportunity of what you get to do. Or as Pavarotti said, everybody wants the audience to love them, but I love the audience. And the minute you do that, that makes you a more powerful force in this world. So the book is all about how to unlock this power that, honestly, God has given you to live with. Like, he wants you to go through life with his power. And when you're connected to him and one with him, one spirit, his power starts to move through you in an amazing way, and you do live with more power. And a lot of people are, are believing the lie that they're separate, but they're not. They're meant to be connected and, and really one with their creator. Best-selling author John Gordon is our guest. His new book is out, The One Truth, Elevate Your Mind, Unlock Your Power. John, now tell us about this third uh, issue. It's called Heal Your Soul. That's where we get really deep. I believe everybody needs a healing of their soul. Everyone has a wound. And if you ask people, like, do you have a hole in your soul? Most people would say yes. We look around. We feel the despair. We feel down at times. We know that something's missing. We're longing for something. And when you are feeling separate, what that's letting you know is that there's a healing that needs to take place. You see, there's a gap between oneness and separateness. And in this, in this gap, you're trying to always fill this hole in your soul with things that are basically cheap substitutes that try to make you feel better. What you really long for is oneness. And you're longing for connection with yourself, with others, and with your creator. So the more you feel this separateness and you look at yourself and you realize, wow, there's something missing, well, that's the hole in your soul. And we all have a God-sized hole that needs to be filled, and only God can fill it. So how do you fill it? How do you heal your, your soul? Through love and forgiveness. That's the ultimate way, love and forgiveness. You see, we all have inflammation of our soul. And what is inflammation? It's guilt and shame and things we're not proud of and a past that we know that we weren't our best and do our best and wasn't kind to others. We've all made mistakes. We've all done things that have been wrong, that were wrong. And so we have this hole in our soul. We have these sins that we're holding on to, the shame and the guilt. And that's inflammation. Well, if your body is inflamed, you need to remove the inflammation for the body to heal. Well, it's the same thing with soul. If you have inflammation in your soul, it needs to be removed so that you can heal. Well, that's what God does. God always has a mechanism of healing and removing inflammation. And his sole goal is to love and forgive you and heal you so that he can restore you, redeem you, so you can go through this life with power and joy and purpose and meaning and mission, living with that love and impacting this world with that love instead of going through life worried, fearful, negative, pessimistic, and down. Because we're not meant to go through life that way. We're meant to go through life with power and purpose. 
John Gordon, our guest. John, there's a there's a chapter here that intrigues me, and it's this: the brain is an antenna. Can you expand? Can you expand on that? Even when you said there's a chapter that that intrigues me, I knew you were going to ask that question about the antenna because it is so intriguing when you really think about it. It's not like an antenna. The brain is actually an antenna, and the brain is always tuning into two major frequencies: a positive frequency or a negative frequency. Everything comes down to those two major frequencies, if you really think about it. If you look at the garden, Adam and Eve, there were two main frequencies. There was the voice of the serpent, and there was the voice of God. One was the truth, one was a lie. One called you to more, one called you to less. It made you believe you would become more, but you became less. You look at the old Cherokee story, the ancient Cherokee story, in Native American culture. We have two wolves. Which one will you feed? That's the one that will win the fight inside of you. So feed the positive wolf instead of the negative wolf. Two main frequencies. Think about the truth. The truth will be found everywhere. So we see it in the garden. We see it in the ancient Cherokee culture. And we see it in pop culture where you have an individual in a movie or a TV show. And they got the devil on one side and they got the angel on the other speaking to him or her, trying to guide them in the right direction or the wrong direction. We're always tuning into Two main frequencies. You have 86 billion neurons in your brain. Every neuron has a transmitter and receiver on them. So you're tuning into like a radio station, a radio dial. You're tuning into broadcasted messages. And there are messages that are being broadcasted, positive and negative. And those come in the form of thoughts. People think, and a lot of neuroscientists believe that maybe thoughts are found in the brain. But I always ask them, have we found thoughts in the brain? And they say, no, we haven't. Thoughts exist in the mind and the soul and also in our, in our field, in our spiritual realm. And so when you understand that the brain is an antenna, it's where the activation of the thought happens. And the brain is always tuning into this internet cloud of consciousness, of thoughts. Then so often when you're dreaming, having a nightmare, you're not choosing those thoughts. When negative thoughts come in that tell you you're not good enough or smart enough or the future is hopeless or you should just give up, they're not coming from you. How do I know? Who would ever choose to have a negative thought? And so the thoughts are always coming in. And when you start to tune into a negative frequency, you'll get more and more negative thoughts. That's why the more negative we are, we get more and more negative thoughts. When we tune into a positive frequency, a higher frequency, we tune into more and more positive thoughts. And that nourishes our brain. And so Romans 8, 5, 6 says it so beautifully. A mind governed by the flesh will lead to death. A mind governed by the spirit leads to life and peace. It's right there. Is the flesh guiding my thoughts? Am I focused on this world? Am I focused on things that lead to dysfunction and death? Or am I focusing on the spirit? Am I tuning into the spirit that leads to life and peace and joy and that renews my mind? See, once you realize the brain's an antenna, then the mind and the soul and the renewal of the mind and soul makes so much more sense. And then you can start to see how the things we do and the thoughts we think can actually cause our, our soul to be damaged, to find dysfunction, find experience brokenness, and that allows us, well, that does allow us, that, that then leads to a place of despair and us wanting to give up and discouragement. So John, every day you're tuning into the positive or the negative. John Gordon, our guest talking about his book, The One Truth. We have another segment with John. Stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. John Gordon, best-selling author, popular public speaker. He's in Santa Monica, California. He's our guest. And, John, uh, here's another thing that intrigues me. At the very first part of your book, you have a chapter simply called The Five Ds. Can you, can you explain them to us? 
Sure. So we were just talking about the brain is an antenna, and there's two main frequencies. Well, negative thoughts will actually cause you to have a lower state of mind, and they come in the form of the five Ds. There is doubt, doubts about your future, doubts about yourself, doubts about just anything in life. We have doubt. The seed of doubt often grows into the forest of uncertainty. Then there's distortion. I said negative thoughts are lies. They are distortions of the truth. And they're lies that will tell you things about yourself and your future that just aren't true. And so distortions often come in, and they discourage us. And so you have these thoughts that are messing with you, telling you something, something's wrong with you, that something's broken about you, and then you get discouraged. And we don't give up because it's hard. We give up because we get discouraged. And so when discouragement sets in, that really lowers your state of mind. The fourth thing is distraction. And distractions are the enemy of greatness. And they keep you from being your best. A distraction is anything that keeps you from your purpose, your mission, and ultimately becoming who you're meant to be and the best you're meant to be. And so that's a distraction. And then there's the fifth D, which is divide. And the root for the Greek word of anxious means to separate and divide, as I shared. And so when we're anxious, we feel divided. But that's what negative thoughts do. That's what the five Ds do. They separate us. They weaken us. They make us feel divided. And they make us want to give up. And there's a battle going on in our mind. And you've got to understand that. And once you understand how the five Ds work, you can win the battle. If you don't, it leads to the 60. In an individual, it leads to your demise. A marriage, those five Ds can take hold and lead to divorce. And a team, it could lead to a defeat. But if you understand how this works, you can take it to your 70, which is your destiny. And I'm not going to allow these negative thoughts to keep me from my destiny of what I'm meant to be. And that's why I tune into the positive each day. It's why I work on becoming more whole. It's why I lead with the love instead of fear. And then I realize through this oneness instead of separateness, I'm able to overcome the five Ds and ultimately live the life that I was called to live. John, do you think every one of us has a destiny in life? I believe God has a plan for each of us. And Dr. David Jeremiah says that success is the fulfillment of God's plan for your life. And that's how I now define success. Did you fulfill God's plan for your life? And I believe that God has a plan for us. He has a, a destiny for us. I also believe in free will. Like we have that choice to walk in it, to walk with him. And the more you're united with him and one with him, he whispers to you, he speaks to you, he renews you, he recharges you. And that's why going through life, in oneness with God is so important because the more we are separate, we are weak. So as you walk with God, that purpose becomes revealed. The destiny unfolds, and God literally guides you on the path of this journey that we call life, and that's his plan for you. But again, we have the choice to walk with him or to walk separate. I have an acronym, HOLE, W-H-O-L-E. The W is walk with God. As I walk with God, there's a healing that takes place with him, and that's H. That's the healing. As I heal, I become one with him. That's the O. There's oneness with God. As I am one with him, love starts to move through me, and I live with love because God is love, and the loving nature of God becomes my nature because I'm now one with him. And then the E happens. That's the elevation of my mind and soul as I'm walking with him to reach and live his purpose for my life and for your life. And that's why whole is so powerful. And yes, we do have a destiny, I believe. I, I believe. John, I get the feeling uh, that you have really been growing and developing in your, in your, in your faith, in, in your Christian walk. I get the feeling it's really beginning to emerge in, in a powerful way. Am I getting that right? Oh, well, of course. But it's interesting because I have been growing in my faith. But then these ideas started coming to me. In this book, and what's really cool for the non-Christian is that I'm a seeker of truth, and I only became a Christian when I was 35 years old and started following Jesus at that time. And I didn't have all the answers; I didn't know everything, and I still don't know everything. I'm still learning. But I started getting these ideas for this book, and I started to help people with these ideas. As I wrote this book with these ideas that were just coming to me, I then matched it against biblical truth. And I started to talk to theologians and pastors, telling them my thoughts. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's here in Paul. Oh, it's here in Acts. Oh, it's here in um, 
Corinthians 6, 17, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Oh, it's right there. Oh, here's Romans 8, 5, 6. So the wildest thing is, I realized the truth exists and doesn't need the Bible to exist. The truth already exists. What I realized was, as you read the Bible, you realize it contains the truth and the prescription towards oneness that we're all seeking. Take every thought, every thought captive, the renewal of your mind, one spirit. Jesus said, right, be one with me and I with you. Remain in me and I in you. Apart from me, you could do nothing. He talked about that, which is so powerful. So then you realize, whoa, so my faith has become so much stronger when I see the truth that was revealed to me and that I was seeking actually is already in Scripture, and yet I didn't even know it was in Scripture when I was writing this book. And then as I wrote the book, I realized, wow, it's right there. So as I'm editing the book, I'm now weaving it in there even more. So yes, my faith has become stronger. Understanding these truths has, has really opened my eyes in such incredible ways, teaching it to others and seeing it impacting people's lives, kids who are suicidal, who are now turned around after one talk with them and teaching them this truth, I see God's purpose for me. I see his plan for my life. Everything in my life I know brought me to this moment that I would be someone who would write this book. And it's so funny that because people who have read it are like, wow, I've read your other books. What happened? <laughs> what happened to you? This is very different than your other books. I went to another level of thinking and wisdom that did not come from me on my own. And it's so cool to be able to share this book and see it impact people and see the truth emerge. Well, that was my reaction, John. When I read it, I said, oh, boy, um, uh, the Lord done got a hold of John Gordon here and has given him some, uh, some, some, uh, something to write here that's very powerful and terrific. I'm so proud of you and, uh, and pleased with what you've done. Now, John, at the end of the book, uh, there's a little section called an action plan. Uh, I need you to uh, explain that to us. What's the action plan mean? Well, if people go to getonetruth.com, get one truth, they can get a free action plan. But I also put some actions in the back of the book, like tune, T-U-N-E. We talked about the brain being an antenna. Well, I teach you how to tune to the positive antenna. Trust in truth, unite with God, neutralize the negativity, elevate your thinking. I give you prescriptions on how to do that, tune, and tune into the positive each day. And that's what it's all about, tuning into the positive. And so I share that. Then I share the whole acronym, W-H-O-L-A. And then I share the prayer acronym, P-R-A-Y-E-R, as a way to pray each day to, pray each day to renew your mind and to find healing and to receive God's healing in your life. And I wrote that in there as well. And again, these were things that, that came to me. And so I, I wrote them up. I shared them with pastors and with others, and they said, wow, this is some really good stuff that as people do this day in and day out, what's going to happen is they're literally going to renew their mind. The living water, the wellspring, will start to well up within you. And like that flowing river, it will clear out all the debris and start to heal you in such incredible ways. But right now you might feel like you're living like a stagnant lake. And that lake becomes toxic. We all need healing, and this is a way to have that healing take place. So I provide the action plan. John, where do book ideas come to you? Is, is it come, something that's already stirring, or does it come out of a seemingly a clear blue sky? How does it work? Both stirring, walking, initial ideas, start sharing. Then if they really start to emerge, and I get more and more ideas, I'm like, okay. And then some clear insights that come in as well, some, 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 some God revelation, you know, where he just, you know, people believe, some believe that God only spoke to the people in the Bible. I believe that God speaks to all of us. I believe if we're listening and obeying, God wants to guide us and move through us and use us. He's going to use different people in different ways. Some he uses painters. Some he uses as encouragers. Some he uses as the person who's driving a car and sharing encouragement to someone who's struggling, and that one conversation changes the course of their life. For me, I'm a writer, and I know he called me to be a writer, so he uses me in this way to share ideas I believe he wants to put out there through me. He does this for other people as well. I'm nothing special. But I know that 
for this book idea to come through me the way it did, to share the gospel the way it did in a very different way. It's the gospel, but in a different way. And it's going to reach people in a different way. And it's going to guide them towards the truth in a different way. That was the way I was meant to write this book. I don't know who's going to read it. I don't know how many people are going to read it, but I know that it's the people who do read it, it's going to impact them in a great way. Oh, that's so good to hear. So good to hear. John Gordon. Uh, and, and folks, uh, check it out. John's written dozens of books, and, and, and they all are valuable. They all have some good, good meat in them, as I call it. And, uh, and when you read his books, you better have a pen with you because you're going to want to make some marks and brackets, uh, may want to underline some stuff, you want to fold some pages down, and then you'll, you want to Xerox that stuff out of there and uh, so that you'll have it uh, to, to review and uh, continue to read. That's the best way to uh, go about a, a John Gordon book. But make sure you get this one, The One Truth, Elevate Your Mind, Unlock Your Power, Heal Your Soul. And go up to the website, folks. We're still working, trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando. OrlandoDreamers.com. We need to hear from you. Uh, need to find out your interest level. Uh, Want to get season tickets if we can ever pull this thing off? OrlandoDreamers.com. God bless you. We're back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. And stay tuned. All day long to AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time, where faith comes by hearing. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.